Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 100. We get Mark Picotta on, our lucky 100th <laughs> episode winner, Mark. Welcome. Really? 100? Well, yeah. well you're 100. It's pretty pretty special episode so there. Special. Yeah. Welcome, Mark. So, Mark, we always like to start out with uh, a little background on you, uh, just to get you know people to uh, you know get your your street cred, so they believe what you're saying. <laughs> and also, we just want to know about you. So, if you yeah. can tell us, uh, you know, as little or as much as you like, we like to go back to like where you were born, where you lived, your struggles, your past jobs, college, school, you know, any of that fun stuff. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm from San Jose uh, originally. Um, that's where I was born. And then, I mean, the, the big the big shift in my life really came when I moved down to San Diego. So that's actually where I'm at right now. Been down here since 2008. Came down here to go to college. Uh, one of my friends, when I was in high school, he went down to come visit first. And he said, "Hey, the girls down there are the most beautiful women I've ever seen." And by that point, as a, I think I was a 17 year old kid, I was pretty much sold. But anyway, so I went down to San Diego State and I was actually really into music at the beginning. I was, I don't know if you even see in the background somewhere, but I have guitars hanging up and stuff, still am, but always thought I was gonna be doing music as a career. And then I got really into electronic music. And there was a moment when I got into, it was my senior year of college that I really had a big transition state where I remember I was actually at a show and I was looking up at the DJ and had this like moment of clarity where I actually couldn't see myself being uh, like living that life. And it was this really strange moment of clarity, I remember. But I went back um, home the next day and, and, and woke up and, and thought, you know what, I need to do something else. I'm going to my senior year of college. And that was when I, was, I started really getting into uh, entrepreneurship in general. I would say, you know, the music was always like an entrepreneurial uh, there was an entrepreneurial aspect of music, I think. And then I even come from an entrepreneurial family. My grandpa starting a business that my, my dad ended up taking over as well. Um, but I really got involved in uh, something like all the entrepreneurial scene that was in San Diego. And San Diego State actually has done a great job facilitating that. So flash forward for my last year of San Diego State, I ended up getting a job at this place called eBoost Consulting, a company that still exists. And besides like really diving into the whole digital marketing world, the other best part about it was I met two of my current business partners that I still work with today. And I remember uh, one of the guys' name is Tom DeDorian. He said, he's like, uh, hey, instead of, you know, going and getting a job, why don't we just try to do this digital marketing thing ourselves? I was like, all right, great. Where are we going to get clients? He's like, you know what? I actually have a, uh, a lead right now. It's this law firm that used to be in uh, my fraternity at UCSD. I was like, all right. And so we put this proposal together. I still actually have it somewhere in my room. It's like a frosted over cover and all this stuff that we got probably made at uh, like FedEx office or something and a $5,000 package. And I remember they took it. And so we're like, all right, we're in business. We were doing God knows what. So that, that, that started our, our um, journey and the beginning of our company called Label Creative. So this was right out of college this was in 2013. And we did that for a few years and I, I would love to tell you that it was some super innovative company that we were starting, but it was really nothing different than any other creative agency that was out there. We were doing website design work, video production, branding mostly. 
um, really just trying to hustle and, and keep the lights on because we were making hardly any money <laughs> at that point. Um, and it, there, was a, there was a big shift where actually in 2014, one of our clients came to us and he said, um, hey guys, like I have this product that I wanna launch on Kickstarter. And we had heard of Kickstarter, um, but we had never done anything on it. So we just helped him launch uh, by, by doing the video production. So we did his Kickstarter video that ended up raising $78,000. It was a product called EcoQ. Like that was pretty cool. One of our other clients saw that, came to us and said, I wanna launch a product. So we helped him launch on Indiegogo, did a little bit more. We started to learn more about the pre-launch process, which is like doing lead generation before, building a community before. Um, and that one did $101,000 on Indiegogo. It's called a one hour break. And the first client came back to us about a year later with the new and updated version of their products. And it was called EcoCube C. And that's where we really got involved um, to a much larger degree and really discovered why it's so important to get uh, funded on the first day. And we ended up doing $375,000 in that project. This is still under the guise of Label Creative. Um, and so after the end of that last, that third project that I told you about, also read this book called Built to Sell. I don't know if anyone in your audience has heard of it. I would highly recommend it. And really it's, it's a cool book because it's teaching you business principles, but it's, it's uh, written like a fiction. And it's telling the story of this creative business owner that had been doing it for 15 years. He's like, you know, we're successful. We're in the you know, multi-million dollar range. I'm ready to sell this thing. He, he goes to his friend that's an investment banker and learns, learns that his company is basically worthless because they're not doing anything that's unique. It's not scalable. Um, and he realized that he needed to make his, think about his service business more like a product. And so I felt like I was reading like my future. You know, this is like the path that we we're going down label creative, kind of like a similar moment of like in the club, looking at the DJ being like, I don't want to do that. Like reading this book and being like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so like when the vision got blurry, it's like, okay, I need to figure out you know, what's the new vision that we want to create. And so using the principles of this book, Build to Sell, we realized that we wanted to create more of a, uh, 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 something that was more niche and much more productized. And so looking at those three campaigns on crowdfunding, we're like, hey, we did the same thing from A to Z to get this end result. It's super niche, super productized. And we can charge like one rate for this thing instead of having custom packages. And so long story short, we ended up, um, yeah, there's the link to it, yeah. Long story short, we ended up uh, rebranding our company from Label Creative to Launch Boom at the end of 2015. And our mission was to essentially help entrepreneurs take their product ideas and, and show them how they can launch it through crowdfunding. And since that point, we've grown our company to 60 people, fully remote team, um, spread out all over the world. And uh, we've We've been helping a lot of entrepreneurs, hundreds of entrepreneurs, and, and have plans to do much bigger things. Awesome. <clears throat> that was an extremely thorough backstory, and I love it. Usually people are a little bit shy and don't give us the, 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 whole, uh, the whole shebang, so I appreciate that. Um, you know, My journey as an entrepreneur started when I was like 19, so if you ask me, you, I'd be like, how many hours do you have, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I love I love all of that kind of you know the pivoting the you know you know failure or, or this thing's not working because a, a lot of times in the Amazon ecom you know digital products in general space 
you know, the, it's the, it's the Lamborghini dream, right? They see all the, the Lamborghini gurus and they think it's going to be just super easy. I can spend, you know, a couple grand, you know, I'm going to build this empire on Amazon and sell it for like millions in a few years. Um, you know, so I, I love to kind of get hear uh, more about the grind to give people kind of the real story that, you know, there's a lot of things out there that can help you. Uh, but it's going to be a grind and you know, the, 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 the person's shoulders that, that you're going to have to stand on are your own. Um, so I, I like, I, I love that a lot. Um, but let's get to what, what, what you're here for, which is crowdfunding crowdfunding. Uh, you know, I've been dabbling in it. I've never launched my own. I, I keep like having it on my to-do list, right. As one of those things I need to do. Cause I have a, I have a couple of inventions. I also have some, uh, you know, digital products, things like that, uh, board games, a lot of things mm -hmm. that I could, I think would have a great crowdfunding, you know, uh, launch. Uh, but it just seems like there's a lot of work involved. Um, so before we get to that though, like, where did you learn about crowdfunding? Where did you see the opportunity and why did you start digging, you know, into it a little bit more? I mean, it kind of hit us and it was like getting hit with a brick in the face, <laughs> maybe a little less, uh, painful, but, um, you know, I mean, it really came to us. It's like with the clients, EcoCube and, and then one hour break with EcoCube C. Um, but we started to like really dive into it. And there was this post actually that was written on Tim Ferriss's blog, um, forgetting the name. Oh, it's called Hacking, Kick Hacking Kickstarter. Sorry, of course. Um, that was, was actually pretty influential as well. And they talked a lot about uh, building like pre-launch email lists as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like how it came to me, but why it was so powerful was because you, you literally don't need to manufacture your product in order to generate hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in the course of a few months, which sounds crazy, but like we, we watched it happen multiple times and you can go on the crowdfunding sites now and, and see what's happening. And, you know, you'll go on Kickstarter and Indiegogo are the two most popular uh, crowdfunding sites, reward-based crowdfunding sites. And they will claim that they're not a store, which is true. It's like technically a donation. It's kind of weird. Um, but if, if you like view it as a pre-order platform, like that's essentially what we're doing. And so let's say that like, this is like a new product that you have. All you have to do on crowdfunding is to have one prototype and then you can do all the marketing around it. And then you can pre-sell it to an audience and generate all the money up front to then go manufacture your product and hopefully get some price breaks on the manufacturing as well. Um, but the biggest thing I, I like to I like to say is that I feel like crowdfunding is distributing risk. So it's instead of having the risk be so focused on the entrepreneur themselves and like whoever might be investing in them, um, instead of you're distributing it out amongst your backers. So like these people are, are pre-ordering your product and they're taking some risks too because you as an entrepreneur needs to now take that money and go make your product and there are some failures for sure in, in crowdfunding um it's a real thing there's scams too unfortunately it's it's it has cleaned up quite a bit um but the whole distributed risk concept i think is something that a lot of people don't talk about but at the end of the day that's that's really one of the most powerful aspects of crowdfunding i think yeah, absolutely. And, and some of the things that come up, uh, so follow up, one of the things that I want to point out that you mentioned, not only in your business, but I think relates a lot to crowdfunding is MVP, right? If you guys don't know what that means, it means minimal, minimum viable product. 
And what I love about, you know, you do this a lot in the, in the software consulting kind of world, uh, but it could be true for Amazon as well, right? So like we have a, a course that we teach called Sourcing Small and it was like, you don't need a label, you don't need a brand on it. You don't need, you just, you're putting the product up to, to test the demand, right? And so I love that you mentioned that because for, you said, oh, my customers brought me that idea. And that's why it's so important to get your service out the door and then solicit that feedback from your customers. Like the people who know what they need the most are going to be the people who are trying to hire you. Right. So if you get into, you know, you, you got into this consulting work and people are like, well, you know, my need really right now is Kickstarter. And you probably heard that over and over again. You guys are like, oh, wait a minute, Eureka. Right. Um, and I think that, that, you know, type of ideas can be completely related to uh, Kickstarter, right? I mean, you like you were saying, you can go to, go with even like a 3D CAD that is you know really detailed that looks like a real product that you can then put in a slice into a video, and then you got you know you technically got a product there. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the one of the other things though that I'm I'm super interested in because we actually hit this issue with one of our products um, that we were thinking about launching on Indiegogo is, you know, once you put your product out there, if you don't have a patent or something like that, then you get these, and I've heard this happening a lot now where a lot of Chinese companies are, are stalking Indiegogo and Kickstarter for ideas and they knock off these ideas. They might iterate on them a little bit um, and then they can push them to market even before the Indiegogo or the, the Kickstarter is over. Um, you know, how are you or your clients, uh, you know, how are people protecting their ideas once they go up on those platforms? So I'll just, well, first off, I'm not an expert when it comes to all the, the patent law or, or even the IP protect, protection, I'll be honest. Um, but I'll say in doing this for the past five years, it's happened actually like very few times for the hundreds of projects we've worked with, um, or it's actually been something like really, really serious for the company. I think the one that we experienced that was really bad was this company called NetCamic that did 1.6 million uh, uh in, in our launch and uh it got knocked off almost immediately like you were talking about and it, i mean the thing with their product like it wasn't very complex it, it was it it is what it sounds like it's a hammock for your neck but it's for uh, like neck pain relief it's like uh, i think cervical traction that's how it works um so it got knocked off really really fast um so i guess when it comes whether it's products or services or anything like that like Sure, there is a level of protection that I think, you know, should be put in place when it comes to getting patents and some type of IP protection and just being, you know, having some like common sense in general about not trying to get give too much of your, your secrets out. But like, again, whether it's a service or product, I, I truly believe that I don't like to lead with like fear. It's really trying to, for, for example, I trust in myself to be able to execute better than my competition. If they want to try to copy the stuff that we're going to do like go ahead because we're going to beat you. I don't know that it sounds arrogant, but it's like how much we trust in our, our team. For example, and this might be going a little bit off topic, but just really quickly, like we share, like I'm sure I'm going to share, I'll share as much as you guys want me to about how our process works. Like we'll share how our process works in like really excruciating detail. And we have, we have competitors that copy our stuff now. That's fine with me. Like totally fine. I want to like spread that out. I think we're going to do it better. Um, so anyways, competition is just part of the game when it comes down to it. And I just think like, don't, I just try not to lead with fear as much and, and try to execute better than everyone else as much as possible. 
I love that. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's a huge one. You know, as an entrepreneur, people are always so fearful of, you know, oh, I can't reach out to that person because there's this big name or they, you know, and what I've learned, you know, it's, I'm 43 years old now. So what I've finally learned is that, you know, you don't, you, the old adage, you don't, you won't get what you don't ask for. Right. So, I mean, you got to really get out there and, 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 uh, you know, not be afraid to launch the product, to test the thing, you know, to do whatever it is that's kind of holding you back. You know, I, I keep trying to teach my cure that uh, my kids that fear is a, a, uh, useless, uh, emotion. Right. And I don't mean that in terms of like, you know, there's, there's the intrinsic fear of being a human, right? Like somebody swings a fist at you, you're going to, you're going to move out of the way. But I, I mean more so in terms of, you know, putting self limitations, like listening to that, that voice in your head that says like, Oh, you've never done this before. You're not good enough. Or, you know, those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. You know, if that's holding you back, you know, for a year, two years, then what good is it? Right. Like it's sitting on the shelf because you're too afraid that somebody's going to knock it off rather than just getting it out there and, and trying it, you know? So I completely agree that, uh, you know, sometimes it's just worth it to just, you know, hit the ground running. Um, yeah, I mean, we get, sorry, we get a lot of people that, you know, want to like sign NDAs and do all this stuff. And like, we usually will, but Again, there's, there's, I've, all the people that have been so cautious about their products, I've never seen any of them do too well. I don't know. And this is like, I know very anecdotal, but um, I, I'm just thinking about it now. It's like, they're, I feel like they're leading with a lot of fear. And, and then there's a lot of people that are even worried about putting up a landing page before they go to launch their product because someone will find it and rip their idea off. I'm like, guys, it's like, the chance of that happening is like so tiny, you know, and you really don't believe that you can, you have a product that's like, you're going to be able to execute on better than anyone else. Then I don't know if you're even the right team to, to do this um, to a certain extent. Um, might be using some strong language there, but I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of fear when it comes to it and it's usually unwarranted. Um, a lot of the bigger guys don't really care. I don't think, I think the, the Chinese, you know, or, or whatever, like other other countries looking at Indiegogo and Kickstarter looking to knock it off is blown out of proportion a little bit. Um, there has been some very uh, widely publicized cases of it happening. Fidget Cube was probably like the biggest one. I don't know if you guys have heard about that one. Um, so it does happen, but it doesn't happen as much as I think a lot of people think. And I think that, you know, in the inventors community, there's definitely that fear um, and you're coming to talk to our inventors group, which will be really cool. And it'll be kind of from that fear aspect. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of questions. Um, but any product that does well is going to get knocked off, whether it's patented a million times or not. If it does well, it's going to be, it's going to get knocked off. So, I mean, you know, I think if you look at it, like you said, with that, um, with the view of like, have confidence in what you're doing. Of course, protect yourself, you know, take the time to, to do the necessary intellectual property on your products. But, uh, but at the same time, like get out there and launch with a bang so that you're, you're not having to worry about, you know, these, these little, you know, people that just put a copycat on Amazon or something, you know? Um, but yeah, okay. either way, it's going to be, you're going to get knocked off no matter what. I would be more cautious about it going the other way, like creating a product where you're infringing on someone else that might be large, that's going to then shut down your campaign. Cause we've actually seen that happen more. 
um, where someone, you know, either works for some manufacturer that like creates their product and they work to design the product with them, but it ends up infringing on someone else's patent. And a Kickstarter, on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, it's, it's like no joke. If they get someone saying that you're infringing on the patent and it looks like it might be true, they'll shut your campaign down. And we've had a campaign we were working on where in the first 48 hours, we had raised somewhere close to $200,000. And without the, the creator knowing that he was infringing on a patent, the whole thing got shut down, lost all the money, all that. So as a creator, in my experience, I would be more worried about that. And like really, really, really not, I mean, part of the people, usually the people that get shut down are taking some shortcuts, I will admit, like they might be working with manufacturers that, you know, aren't the most reputable and they might be using products that um, already exist or, or something or designs that are patented. So I think the due diligence process at the beginning is, is super important, but I just thought it was interesting thinking about it. I've seen it happen more the other way where creators infringe on other people's patents and another way around. Just a quick follow-up question on that. You mentioned they lost all the money. So does Kickstarter and Indiegogo, do these platforms have a policy where if you are found infringing, you forfeit everything or are you able to actually refund those investors and or those backers and then just move on? Yeah, the backers get all their money back. Yeah. Okay, so it's, so it's it's at least not at least not you you haven't like pissed off a bunch of people at the same yeah. time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just typically there's there's still is investment going into these campaigns to make them happen, so there will be lost right. money and time, you know. Um, but yeah, you're right. It does go back to the backers. So, uh, Mark, one of the things I'd love to go into is just uh, kind of the basics of uh, of your crowdfunding strategy. So, you know, say somebody comes to you, they hey, they say, hey, I have this widget, you know, I want to launch it on Kickstarter. Um, you know, kind of what are the early steps uh, that you guys uh, take? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so we break up our, our system into three phases. We call it test boom, launch boom, and scale boom. And so test boom at the beginning, it's where this came from was at the, when we first started our company, we did no like testing, uh, meaning that if you came to me and said, Hey, I want to launch, launch the product and go like really big with it. We'd say, great. It's going to be $50,000 to do this, you know, 25,000 going to ad spend and we'll do everything from the video production, et cetera, et cetera, to make this thing happen. Um, the thing was that once we started actually working on a few of the projects, um, well, I'll say at the very beginning, I would almost say it was luck where we had a lot of big successes at the beginning. And then we started to have some projects that would pay us that much money. And it became really apparent once we started advertising that it wasn't going to be a fun launch. It was, there was a lot of challenges in getting this thing to really have really stick in the market. It wasn't really a good uh, product market fit. And, but we were committed to the launch, et cetera, et cetera. So there were some painful launches, let's put it that way. And so we realized that like, hey, let's let's test these products first and really get a better idea of like the market validation for the product, um, what the best audiences are, how we should position this thing. And so that's where Test Boom came in. So people will come to us and all of our clients go through a testing process. And how this works is that you'll come, you'll send us your prototype or to our studio in downtown San Diego. We'll build all the marketing assets. So we'll do lifestyle photography. We'll then build up a, a whole website, landing page, and funnel um, for for the uh, product. 
And then we'll do all the messaging around it, like how we should position it and come up with different angles that we want to test and different audiences that we want to test. And then we start to drive, um, we do $3,000 in advertising um, on Facebook and Instagram down that funnel that we created. Now the funnel is like the most important part because it's broken up into uh, multiple steps. The first step is that we're asking for their email address. So like lead generation. Um, but where it really gets interesting is that on the second step of the funnel is where we say, Hey, you're in now you can put down a $1 deposit to reserve the product when it launches. Okay. So, and the reason why they would do that is because if they'll get the best discount that we'll offer by putting down that $1 deposit more so than you would if you just gave us your email and that's how you become a VIP is what we call it. And so a lot of people ask us like, why a dollar, you know, what, what does that really show? But we found that if someone that puts down a $1 deposit is on average 30 times more likely to back your campaign or buy your product than someone that doesn't like someone that just gives you their email address. So it really is a much better sign of quality of the list than just an elite. Um, and so what we can do is we can start to optimize the advertising based off of a better indicator of purchase intent than just, you know, lead intent. And so we build up a large audience during this phase. Um, and at the end of the day, at the end of the test, what we're trying to do is, is say, okay, now we know what the best audience is, how to position the product and what we think the expected return on ad spend will be if we launch this product. And we present that all to the client and then we make a decision whether or not we want to go into phase two, which would be our launch boom phase, or if they want to, like, we will actually give them all the data and say, we think you might want to launch this yourself because working with our agency, you're not going to make, you know, the, the money that you want or the profit that you want on this campaign is typically how it works. And so phase two, the launch boom phase is really just more of what we were doing in test boom is now we're just scaling it up. And so the general strategy of crowdfunding is that you want to build a community of people that want to buy your product before you actually go launch. So we just continue to ramp that up, continue to get more leads, more reservations, and then build up all the assets for the campaign. You launch, I, I, I alluded to this earlier, the first day is really important. It's actually our brand name of launch boom. What that means is to get funded in the first day. So we use that big list that we built. We send out an email on the first day we get funded extremely quickly. Um, what that does is it has lots of ancillary benefits where it shows credibility in the campaign. It boosts you up in the rankings on Kickstarter and Indiegogo as well. And people are like, well, why does that matter? matter? Well, both of those platforms have tens of millions of unique visitors a month that are looking for cool stuff. Think about it like Amazon. Amazon's obviously on a way different scale, but it's a marketplace to a certain extent. And people are just, they're early adopters. You know, that's the, that's the segment that you're going after. And so on average, it's around like a quarter of all of the funding on a campaign comes from the platform itself. So think about that, like that big of a boost comes from the platform itself. Um, but the thing is that you have to actually bring like, you know, you have to drive traffic first and get it funded first for your, for your campaign to tap into that traffic. So that that's why it's a really it's really important to do all the pre-launch work to then have a big campaign funding and then to rise up in the rankings and then continue the funding from there. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. 
sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.